bit more on this, Aaron, if you would, thanks. Awesome. You know, <laughs> we talk about this quite a bit here, but if it's in there, it's in there. You know what I'm saying? And that verse in, in Luke chapter 6, like I, the religious spirit wants to push back on that preaching. The religious spirit wants to, well, that's just prosperity gospel. Yeah, it is. It is. You know what? I was just thinking, how many, we're going to talk about the father today quite a bit. How many of you as parents, how many of you have kids? Just raise your hand. How many of you have kids? Okay. How many of you have parents? Trick question. Um, you know, if, if parents know how to give good gifts to their children, the Bible says this. I don't know if you, if you recognize this. He says, Jesus said, if, if parents know how to give good gifts, how much more does your heavenly Father want to give good things to you? That ask. I'm just telling you, it's time to get the stingy old man, Father God picture out of our head. He actually wants to bless you. And uh, some of you, I think, well, some of you are a little late coming in, but Shannon was talking about this morning how God just did this. How many of you know that God is the greatest auto mechanic in the, in the world, right? <laughs> I remember hearing the story about my grandma and uh, my dad's mom and something about the car breaking down and, and Grandma Abbott gets out, put her hands on the car and it wasn't working and then she prayed and it was working, you know, like that kind of thing. And God just wants to, God cares about our stuff. And he's a good father. Just say it. He's a good father. Now just say it to him. You're a good father. You're a good father. Hallelujah. So, Lord, I thank you today that you love us so much and you want to do good things to us and through us to this world that has a pretty poor picture of you. So I ask, God, that we would be those that, that not only reflect you to this world but have experienced you, and we get to share that with those around us. God, let it be so today for revelation to happen in our hearts. Anybody want to say amen to that? Amen. amen. <laughs> All right. Super. Wow, you guys are so brave. You, you braved the elements to get here. And, uh, you know, God, what? And the car that works, it's good. I, I'm not going to say God loves you more, but he's smiling just a little bit more on you guys, just so, so that we're clear, you know. So thanks for coming this morning. It's going to be good. I, uh, God has been working overtime on me in this area of, of his love for us. And uh, this morning, I want you just to be ready to have revelation to come to you. I really feel strongly as we were doing that song earlier about there's no wall, there's no mountain, there's no, I forget, valley, whatever. There's nothing that he's not going to crush to get his love into you. Amen? So how many of you this morning would just say, I'm ready for any walls to come down? Right? I'm ready for any mountains to get crossed over, right? I'm ready for, how's the rest of the song going? <laughs> Ain't no valley low enough. Wait a minute, I think we shifted songs there just for a second. Right? But it's the same idea, and we're ready. So we're ready. Just tell them one more time. I'm ready, God. I'm ready. I'm ready for it all. Amen? So take your Bibles, if you would. Turn to uh, Luke chapter 15. And again, we've been in this mini-series for three weeks, this is the final one, on this radical, uh, as we sang this morning, reckless, even scandalous love of God that he has his thoughts for us. And how many ever good thoughts you have of God? 
it's, it's almost like Jody said, it's like one piece of rice in a huge bucket. <laughs> like there's so much more that God wants to reveal to us. So we're just going to give him freedom to do that this morning. And again, the scenario and the, the landscape that Jesus was in at that time, the only people that really could connect to God were the super religious people at that time. And these were the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious ruling class of that time. They were up here. Then everybody else was really far down here. If you were, if you were a good Jew and a good religious person. And then if you had made some mistakes and you were a... Uh, uh, a really bad, well, in this case, really good sinner. If you were really good at it, you're way down here. And you were as far from God as you could possibly be, right? And so most, a good portion of the society at that time was so far disconnected from God. And the only way to God was really by works, to fulfill all the obligations, to go to all the, the, the temples and the sacrifices and obey all the laws. And of course, the religious Rulers at that time had taken not only the laws of Moses and the Old Testament and the Old Covenant stuff, but had piled on literally hundreds of more rules on top of the people and how they thought, if you obey these rules, you'll work your way back to God. <laughs> it was almost like, have you ever felt like a burden on your shoulders and you just, oh, you're like, oh, I can't take it. It was that times ten. Like, literally, there was a burden on the people and they just, it was, it was, you could never do enough to get to God. So Jesus shows up on this scene. And of course, if you read through the New Testament, you'll find he is messing with the system. And one of his jobs is to, to take the old covenant and then all these rules and religion and to change it into what we begin to know now as the new covenant in Christ Jesus. And he wants to wreck the system. He absolutely wants to wreck it. You know, some people call President Trump the wrecking ball, right, into the political system. And you can kind of see that, can't you? Like, he's the political system and how it's been for, you know, 150 years or whatever. And he's like a wrecking ball in the political system. And he's just crushing stuff back and forth, right? And how many of you know, though, that sometimes in the different systems, whether it's politics or entertainment, you know, even in the entertainment sector, do you see a wrecking ball kind of coming through that sector as well? Right? And sometimes the wrecking ball will come into the monetary or the money sector, right? And there are times where some things just have to get torn down in order for something else good to come in its place. Amen? And I know, I don't, you know, again, to the politics, I'm not, I'm not speaking for or against the president or anything like that. But I am saying most of us have a keen sense that the system isn't really working, right? The political system. And, of course, Hollywood and that mountain and some of these other things. I believe God wants to just wreck some stuff. So Jesus comes in, and he's a wrecking ball, man, into the religious system at that time. And he's just, and, of course, the religious leaders in that time were saying, oh, Jesus, we're so glad you're here. Please, tell us more how we're wrong. <laughs> you know, like, they were opposing him in every way. And so Jesus is, is teaching, and, again, we talked about this, the, on, on one area, there was the religious rulers, and they were not happy with what Jesus was teaching. Not only with what he was teaching, but with how, who he was allowing to listen to his teaching. Because off to the side, he not only allowed the, the lowest members of society, the, the prostitutes and the tax collectors, and as we're going to read, notorious sinners, the really 
really, really low ones of society. Jesus was not only allowing them to listen, he's actually inviting them to come in and be a part of what's going on. Talk about blowing up the system, right? But how many of you think that's pretty awesome, <laughs> right? That it doesn't matter what you've done in the past, it only matters that you value, that you have value. And God wants to bring you to a place of intimacy with him. And so Jesus, we'll just, we'll go back and read the first three verses. In Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says this, many, everybody say many, many dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners, say it with me, notorious sinners, often gathered around to listen as Jesus taught the people. This raised concerns with the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law. Indignant, they grumbled and complained. <laughs> Anybody ever heard somebody that's really good at grumbling and complaining? Anybody know people like this? Yes? Wow, that just sounded like she knew somebody. <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> Grumbling and complaining, right? Oh, you could just hear him. Look at how this man associates with those <laughs> notorious sinners and welcomes them all to come to him. <laughs> I did it again. Right? He's, <laughs> he's, these religious rulers are really upset, man. They are grumbling. They're indignant is a pretty big word, isn't it? Like, they were not just a little unhappy. They were really unhappy. And so Jesus then goes on, and it says in verse 3, in response, Jesus gave them. Who's them in the story? The religious people. He's talking about them. Now he says, in response to them, Jesus gave them this illustration. And he goes on, and the first one we talked about a couple weeks ago was the lost sheep. Okay? 900 sheep, one wanders off. The shepherd goes, leaves the 99. Now, mind you, the 99 represent the religious people. And he goes after the one lost lamb, right? Then in the, last, the next story, last week, we talked about the woman who loses one of her 10 gold coins and is so much value, she stops everything that she's doing and she turns the house upside down and the dirty floors and everything she could to find the one coin. In both of those stories, at the end of them, the shepherd and then the woman call all their friends to come together and have a huge party. You know? <laughs> Jody was thinking it was funny. Like, if you're going to throw a party in those days, you would take a lamb and you would use it for food, right? <laughs> so you go get the lost one, come back, and then you eat it. I don't know. And then, the woman with the, and then the woman with the ten coins, like, did she use one of her ten coins to then pay for the party for all her friends? I don't know. I just know this. The way we think and the way God thinks is often not the same. Amen? The Bible tells us that. Right? So, but there's a huge party. It's a celebration. And the one lost thing has been found. That is the point of those two stories. And now, Jesus, who's never one for holding back, <laughs> he comes in with another story. It's almost like, bam, bam, boom, I'm coming in with the big one. And this is the longest story of the three. Right? But I think it also, because of its length, it has a very important point to say. And Jesus is, as they say, he's bringing it home right here. He's bringing it home, all right? So jump with me down to the third story, if you would. It's in verse 11. And again, I'm reading out of the Passion Translation, but it reads pretty similar in, in all of the translations. 
In the Passion Translation, though, it says this in verse 11. Then Jesus said, so this is the third story, once there was a father with two sons. The younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? So the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. Now, again, this is a little different culturally for us, but it's important to understand a couple things. Number one, this was a no-no in that culture. You did not ask your living father for your inheritance before he had moved on to greener pastures. (laughs) In essence, what the, the son is saying is, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead so I could get my money. Would you go ahead and die, old man, so that I can get my stuff and move on and do what I want with my life? It's interesting, isn't it? And the father's response is what? You ungrateful little blah, blah, blah. You don't get nothing until I'm ready to give it. No, what does he do? Okay, I'll give it to you. And it's interesting in the Greek there. The Greek literally means this about his inheritance. The Greek literally means he gave them his life. He gave them his life. So not only is the son rude and, and disgusting in how he's treating the father, but the father then just gives him his life. Now, if you're in the story that day, right from the very beginning, how many of you think there was two sets of people that were listening very closely to what Jesus was saying? On the one hand, the religious people are probably thinking, what in the world? This is the worst of the worst of the worst. He's making a horrible decision, and he's rude, and da, 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 da. And the people on the other side are probably going, you know what? I probably did something really close to that <laughs> with my dad, or, you know, like I've made some really bad choices in my life, right? And I could just imagine the two sides listening very intently to what Jesus is saying. And the story goes on. Verse 13, it says, Shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far-off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry, for there was a severe famine in that land. And so he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him, all right, and sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished, he was willing to eat, even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. You know, it's interesting, as we, as we move into this story, we, like, there's several things that, that we don't have all the time for today, but I just want to point out, pigs and Jews, they weren't supposed to be together. In fact, a Jew, a good Jew, was not even supposed to touch a pig in any way, shape, or form at any time. Like, it was totally off, you know. And the reason I know the religious system was horrible is because I really like bacon. I'm just saying, I'd have been the worst Jew ever. I'd have been way over there on that side, you know, like, and they also didn't, they didn't allow, like, like sea creatures and stuff, so, like, lobster and shrimp, it was, let's say, there's something wrong with that system, I'm just saying, okay, right? Bacon and crab legs in the same thing, come on, I'm way over there, okay? And so, we find that the sun, though, in the story, has really fallen to a low place. Because not only is he touching pigs, he's actually eating pig's 
food. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, this is the worst of the worst. Can you imagine if the religious rulers were indignant before? What were they now? <laughs> oh, man. They're like, how many of you know their arms were crossed, right? There was a lot of this going on, right? Yep, she's got it, right? Oh, and sighing and rolling their eyes like, I can't believe this is such a horrible. And, and they would just go, did I use the voice again? I did a little bit. Okay. <laughs> because apparently religious rulers have a lisp. I'm just saying that's how. I'm serious. Can you even believe what they're doing over there? <laughs> okay. Okay, moving on. Verse, <laughs> verse 17. Humiliated. Everybody say, humiliated. Like, because not supposed to touch pigs, but he's eating their food and he's hanging out with pigs. Okay? Humiliated. The sun is at the lowest of the low. He finally realized what he was doing. And he thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing except bacon. They lack nothing why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? Why? Good question. You know, the Bible says this. In Hebrews, I think it's chapter 11. It says sin for a season is fun. Right? <laughs> How many of you would say you understand that sin for a season is fun? It just is. Because the Word of God says it, and we know it to be true. There's, you know, that's kind of how the devil gets you to come into his thing, Right? <laughs> Some of you saw that movie we showed a while back here in the different groups, uh, Heart of Man. Right? Oh, and, you know, there's this pretty girl, and the guy's like, oh, okay. And he comes after the pretty girl, and, you know, da, da, da. And he finally gets to the pretty girl, and they're in the waterfall thing, and they're swimming. And all of a sudden, she turns to him, and it's the face of death. And it's like a demonic black thing. So her pretty face turned into this horrible face. Right? Next thing you know, he's in bondage, he's in chains, he's in a cave, he's completely under the, the, the not only spell, but the, the chains and the bondage of the enemy, right? So what was pretty turned into ugly. Anybody ever experienced that in their life? What was, you thought was pretty turns into incredibly ugly. That's how the devil works, and I hate him for it. Sin for a season is fun, but how many of you know seasons change? Right? <laughs> how many of you think the Pharisees over here were probably thinking, serves him right? Talking to his daddy that way. Right? Spending all that money, wishing he was dead. My Pharisees just got a southern accent, too. I'm not really sure. <laughs> I'll go back to the list. I can't believe that guy. He was just ridiculous. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Moving on. <laughs> but they were probably saying, you deserve that. You made all those bad choices. That's where you belong. That's what you deserve. That's how you chose to do it. How many of you think they were probably thinking he got what he deserved? Hmm. I just want to throw this in here. It's... A, it's something I felt God laid on my heart as we were talking about this. But how many of you know that in life, oftentimes, it isn't until we get to the lowest of the low and what we call rock bottom that we actually think, hey, I think I want to do this different. I think I need to do this different. <laughs> if you're there, just shake your head up and down, right? You know what I'm talking about. Many of us know until you hit rock bottom, 
things don't really change. And I just want to encourage you today. Hitting rock bottom is important to affect real change. Sometimes God is allowing them, people, let's just talk about other people for a second. Let's just say there's some people that you know that have been making really bad choices. See, sometimes a God allows a person to live with the effects of their choices and to hit rock bottom. So I would say it like this. God is allowing them to hit rock bottom, so maybe you should too. Did you catch what I said there? See, sometimes we think that the only way lost people are going to get found is if we act like the shepherd. And sometimes we think that the only way the lost are going to get found is if we act like the woman looking for the lost coin. And I think those are important times to do that. But do you realize in this story, the father gave the kid his money and let him go. He let the kid go and spend and do all the crazy things and all the partying and all that stuff. And he let the kid go all the way to rock bottom. You know what we don't see in this picture? Is the father in the pigsty. I mean, I'm sure he's there, you know, God is everywhere kind of thing. But you don't see the father trying to get, come on, son, don't eat the pig stuff. Come with me. Let's go do this. You know what I'm saying? See, I'm not saying God does it because we're going to see later how much the father loves the son. But I want you to consider, perhaps, if you have someone in your life that is making bad choices, there are times where we have to let them make bad choices or they will never learn and turn. See, you got to learn before you turn. You've got to actually come to a spot where you go, you know what? Like the kid here. I'm eating pig slop. I'm touching pigs. Even my dad's servants are doing way better than I'm doing. See, sometimes if we don't allow people to hit rock bottom when we're supposed to let them hit rock bottom, we actually extend the problem out for days and months, possibly years. Some of you know like this. Like we have some relatives in our family that the person will not let their son actually hit rock bottom. And it has gone on for years, and the person never quite gets off the pigsty into the dad's home. Why? Because the other person keeps rushing in. Here, you know, and, and again, don't get me wrong. I, this is hard preaching. I get it. Because we're supposed to love people, and we're supposed to, you know, do things. And I get it. But if you're trying to solve their problem more than they're trying to solve their problem, you will never get anywhere. Right? Are you with me? Some of you have gone through AA, right? You've had some alcoholism things. That's one of the big teachings, right? Like, you have to decide, this is not for me. I I don't want to be a drunk anymore. I want to move on. I don't want to be a drug addict anymore. And you have to let people come to that place themselves And then, it's interesting, because look what happens next. (laughs) Verse 17, he says, I'm humiliated, realizing what he had done, realizing that the the other, even servants in his dad's home, lack nothing, and they're all this. And then it says in verse 18, I want to go back home to my father's house. See, the son came to a spot where he said, listen, I want to go back home. It's not because you're dragging me. It's because I want to go back home. 
I want to make this decision. And so what he does, he actually gets up, realizing, right? He says in verse 18, I want to go back home to my father's house. And I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. <laughs> Does that sound like the kid that left home? Now, see, there had been a total change in him. And some people, you and I both know this, some people just have to learn the hard way. And I don't think it's the smart way, but some people have to learn the hard way. And so the kid comes to this point and he says, listen, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm humiliated. It's, it stinks. All this stuff. I'm going to go home and I'm going to say to my father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. Verse 19. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. Now, I will just say this. <laughs> when you get to the pigsty and you're in this pig slop and you're at rock bottom, how many of you know the devil wants to shoot his ideas into your head? <laughs> because when you hit rock bottom, that's how you feel. You don't feel worthy. And the devil's right there, man. Oh, you're not worthy. Look what you've done. You did drugs. You did alcohol. You did all this sex stuff. You did, you know, all this stuff. And you're not worthy. How many of you think the religious rulers in that day were on the other side here going, yeah, that's right. They're not worthy of anything. <laughs> that kid, he's exactly right. Like, they were realizing with his theology. They were agreeing. They were in agreement with, yeah, you're not worthy. You're just going to be a slave. You haven't done anything except turn around and start heading home. Verse 20. So the son set off for home. If you're in a lost place today, that is the best advice anybody will ever give you. Start heading towards home. Home is a powerful place, isn't it? I remember I... Uh, I'd been a missionary kid my whole life, so we traveled all over the world, and we were the only home we had in each one of the countries we were at. We had some friends and all that, but home was really important because we were all we had as a family, right? So I come back to the States, and I go through high school, and I, I go to college, and most people, when they go to college, their parents stay, and you go to college. So you, you know, go to another state or wherever, right? Not me, man. When it came time for college, I was in Minnesota, and my parents moved away. I was like, thanks a lot. <laughs> you know, this church in Illinois, in Waukegan, called them and said, hey, come be our pastor. And they said, okay. They go to Illinois. I'm still in Minnesota. And so when it came time for spring break and some of these things, guess what I did? I headed for home. Home isn't a geographical location. Home is a place where the father is. Home is a place where family is, right? And I remember, like, this snowstorm we've had and all that, I remember on several occasions driving from Minneapolis to Waukegan through snow blizzards, because I knew I only had a couple of days to be with my family, but I was passing semi-trucks in blizzards <laughs> to get here because I knew I only had a little time to be. And it was such value to me to go home, even though... It wasn't my home. I'd never really lived here. In fact, the first time I came here, I'd never even been here, and they had a home. But I remember feeling like going home is a powerful thing. And it's the heart and the love that you feel at that place that actually draws you to it. And I have a feeling that's what the son felt that day. 
I have a feeling the son was like, I haven't been home in a very long time. Now, obviously, he had misjudged the heart of the father and that home. But there was something drawing him. And I would just encourage you today, if you are in a lost place far from the father, set out for home. Set out for home. Verse 20, it continues, he says, So the son set off for home, and it says, From a long distance his father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar, and great compassion. Everybody say that with me. Great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. So the father meandered down the driveway with his arms crossed. Okay. Is that what it says? (laughs) What does it say? The father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms and hugged him dearly and kissed him over and over with tender love. (laughs) How many of you think that probably caught the son off guard in the story? Because he's thinking, just take me as a slave and I was wrong and I'm this lowly, 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 unworthy thing. And the father's like, and again, The picture is what? The father is waiting for the son to come home. He's waiting for the son to hit rock bottom and take a couple of steps towards him. And then what does he do? He races down the driveway. Of course, some of you are familiar with this picture. It's been with this church for many years. And it's the picture of the father and the son meeting on that day, right? And some things really struck me on this. It's an amazing picture, right? The father is waiting at a great distance. He's looking for the sun. He can't wait for the sun. (laughs) I'll just put a pin in that just for a second. Let's go back over to the Pharisees. Can you even imagine what is going on in their head? (laughs) Yeah, arms crossed for sure. Did you hear what he just said? (laughs) Like, can you imagine them gawking back and forth? Like, they were just like, like, running to, no, that kid needs to work his way out of the, out of the pigsty. Like, that, that kid needs to be a servant for a while. He's done some bad things. And Jesus is over here, you can almost, <laughs> he's laughing almost, right? He's like, yeah, this is a good one. Wait, where did I tell him this part? <laughs> you know, and he lays this thing out and he just says, listen, the father runs to the unworthy kid. Just some of the words are amazing, aren't they? The father races out based on the compassion that swelled up in his heart. <laughs> Have you ever loved someone around you so much that you just can't stand it? <laughs> right? You know, when I was in Bible college, I had some, some, some guys that around Valentine's Day this time of year, they would, out of the swelling up of love in their heart for these young ladies, would like stand outside their window and sing horribly. To them, you know, like it's swelling up in their heart. They're just, oh, I love you so much. And I'm thinking, dude, try a different love language. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> just try a different love language, okay? Right? But this swelling up of love, like sometimes I just have to hug my kids and kiss them. And in my house, I use this phrase, kissy, kissy. <laughs> I just, I just want to give them a kissy, kissy. <laughs> and I just hug them and I kiss them and I want to be with them and I put them under the covers with mom and I and we just, you know, call the dog up on the bed and everything's going crazy. Why? Because I just love them so much. 
Great compassion and love swells up in his heart. He races down the driveway. He doesn't saunter or mosey down the driveway. He's running down the road. Swept him up in his arms, it says. <sighs> How do you think that kid smelled? Have you ever been around pigs? Anybody ever been around pigs? They stinky. They really stinky. It's disgusting. And here's the thing. He not only was hanging out with them, he's eating their food. I'm just thinking the kid didn't put a breath mint in before he's hugging the father. You know what I'm saying? Like, this kid, whoo, you know. <laughs> Have you ever hugged somebody and you kind of give them the, <laughs> you know, the, the little pat really, you know, far away? Nope, that wasn't this. Woof. Pulls him up in his arms. He's, you could just imagine the father's crying. I think we got a picture if you're going to throw that one up, Andrew. The father is just, he's like weeping, you know, with love for his kid. And he says he hugs him dearly, right? <laughs> Have you ever hugged somebody and it's so hard that you literally think you might kill them because you're squeezing them so hard? You know, like, and they make that noise. Oh! <laughs> you know, so the kid's smelly. Dad's hugging him just weeping, right? And then it says, I mean, let's be honest, he kisses him to the point of awkward. <laughs> right? Kiss, 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 kiss. The kid's like, okay, Dad, I get it. You know, you know like, it just kisses him all over. How many of you think that that is love? And here's the thing. That is what the Father thinks about you. That is what the Father thinks about me. I, I'm his favorite, but after that, you know, <laughs> you all get to be his favorite, actually. Can you imagine? Like, folks, I'm telling you, when you sin or when you make a poor choice, that is still how the Father feels about you. That is still his love for you. It doesn't change. See, we think if we mess up or if we mess up a lot, somehow God's loveometer goes down. <laughs> like, like somehow, oh, he doesn't love me quite as much, and I've got to work my way back, which is what those people were thinking. Hmm. Interesting, though, that even though the son experiences the father in this way, he's still stuck. Because, look at the next line, verse 21. So, He's smelly, he's stinky, he's every bad thing. Father's hugging him, crying, kissing him all over the pig face and everything, right? And yet the son still has this lie in his head that he's not good enough and that he's still going to have to be a servant and work his way up. So verse 21, it says, Then the son said to the father, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned. Does this sound familiar? It's the same speech he had in his head in the pigsty. Same speech. He says, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. And then the father does this. Shh. I mean, that's what it says. <laughs> we have this thing in our family. If somebody starts talking and you don't like what they say, you just walk up to them and you go, Shh. and you just put your finger right in their mouth. Right? <laughs> yeah, my kids know. Right? And your father is like, he interrupts him and says, the father, the kid is doing his speech, and the father interrupted and said, son, you're home now. You don't, you don't need the speech. You don't need to believe the lie anymore. You're home. 
Don't you just kind of go, oh, in your heart when you hear that? You see, so often when we make mistakes, we try to barter and bargain with God on how we're going to get out of the pigsty and back into good Christian living. <laughs> oh, God, I'll go to church every Sunday, or I'll join the worship team, or I'll, <laughs> you know, I'll go to the nursery and do my penance down there and with the babies, you know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, like somehow we have to try to talk God into loving us. You don't have to talk God into loving you. He wants to kiss your piggy, smelly, bad choice thing over here. He actually doesn't change in his love for you, whether you're doing perfect in your devotions every week or whether you have made really poor choices and everything in between. He says, listen, I just love you. Come on home. Come on home. So, The enemy is trying to tell you that you're a slave and an orphan. And God is trying to tell you that you're a son and a daughter. (laughs) Now, if you haven't listened to one word I've said up to this point, if you are on your, your thing and you're texting or whatever, I want you to put it down just for a second. I want you to listen to me. Those words I just said are the most important ones I've said all day. The devil wants you to believe that you're a son, uh, an orphan or a slave. And God wants you to know that you're a son and a daughter. There really isn't any in-between. There really isn't, like, if you're an heir of the king, you're not just kind of a prince, you know. You're not just kind of an heir. You either are an heir or you're not, right? And the Bible says that we are princes and princesses. We are heirs of the king. We're heirs of the father. Like, we are in the family whether you want to believe it or not, you are a son, you are a daughter, and you are dearly loved by the Father. You're not a slave anymore. Don't you love that song? I'm no longer a slave to sin. Why? Because he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen? And the Father wants you to know that you are dearly loved. So he says, he turns to the servant. The Father's like, shh to the son's lies and the speech, right? You don't have to say all that, son. You're home. And then he turns to the servants, and can you imagine what he was like? He's not going, okay, well, we should, you know, we should probably do something now, all right? He's not turning to the servants going, yeah, you know, I don't know. Do we got any extra clothes laying around? <laughs> did we clean out his closet before he left? I don't remember, did he? <laughs> no, he turns to the servants, and he says what? Quick! Bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger. And bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. He says, listen, you're the pig guy and made all these bad choices, and you said you wanted me dead, but guess what? I want you alive. You're my son. You're my heir. And I'm not even going to give you some stuff. I'm going to give you my best stuff. In fact, it's not just best. It's my best stuff. I want you to have my robe. The best. Like, like he would have said to the servant, go get my, my, uh, my most expensive tuxedo and bring it out and put it on pig boy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? My son who smells like a pig. No, listen. We're, this is what I really think about him. My best stuff. Right? And he says, and go get the ring. And the ring, of course, we don't have time for all this, but the ring, of course, has to do with authority. The authority meant that though the son had taken half his inheritance and spent it, the father still had a lot of resources. In fact, 
a lot of resources. And he says, listen, not only are you going to not work your way back from the slave deal and the pig deal, but I'm going to actually make you my most important thing right here. I'm going to give you my ring, which means you get to conduct business in my name. <laughs> Man, I wish I had a couple more weeks on this, but I just want to tell you, the Father is still speaking that to us. He's speaking that to you and you and you and you. He's saying, listen, you're not just a pretty good son or daughter. You're my favorite kid. And you get to take the ring and all these nice clothes and you get to act and conduct business on my behalf. You get to raise the dead. You get to cast out demons. You get to heal people. You get to bring life into dead situations. You get to speak my word over people and prophesy over them. You have all authority in heaven on earth to go and do these things. <laughs> I mean, you think the son and the Pharisees were a little surprised at that turn of events. Oh, my word. These guys were throwing a conniption fit over here. I'm just telling you, they did not get it. And it even gets better because verse 23, it says, so he says, I'm going to, verse 22, it says, I'm going to bring my best shoes you can find, right? And put it on them. And then it says 23. Twenty-three is that verse right after the best shoes, right? Are you with me? There you go. Best shoes right there. Air Jordans, that's what he said. It's right in there, isn't it? Twenty-three, verse twenty-three. Best shoes, Air Jordans, right there. Get that one, John. <laughs> so I'm just saying. I'm just saying. God isn't giving you kids. Or uh, what are them Walmart shoes, the well, Converse, or what are the Skeechers or whatever those things are? This is what I'm wearing. But anyway, like, like God has given you Air Jordans, man. Like he's putting the best shoes on your feet, right? He's not just giving you this little. See, we have got to get that mindset out of our head that the only the good stuff belongs to the people that do good. That was the religious spirit, man. The spirit that God was, oh, Jesus was trying to do was flip that thing upside down and say, listen, You've been hanging out with pigs and you smell really bad. Here's my Air Jordans. Right? Here's the best sneakers the money can buy. Right here. They're yours. And you get the ring for authority and you get the cool, uh, the cool robe and the cool, uh, you know, I don't know, member, members only really. That's where you're going to go. <laughs> I think we can do better than that. <laughs> the best clothes and the best shoes and the ring of authority. He says, listen you got to change this thing. you got to change how you think. This whole story is about changing the way we think about God, the Father, and how much he loves you and cares about you. And it's not that you have to crawl your way back to somehow getting his love and acceptance. He just gives it to you, man. It's just right there. Oh, okay, we're going to have to stop. <laughs> you want to read the rest of the story? There's a whole other son who's firmly and thoroughly camped out in the religious spirit. He doesn't understand how the father could love that kid so much after all he's done. I don't want you just to read that part of the story maybe as you look on. Because the father makes a couple of things very clear. That hmm. he makes a couple of things very clear that he loves both sons exactly the same. The, sec, the, the older son comes out, and he won't even come into the party. And there's a party going on, man. After this whole ring, Air Jordans, 
<laughs> Can you imagine the kid at the party going, dude, check out these, man. I got some Air Jordans, right? Like he is, he's excited. And, and the party, and it says everybody was excited. In fact, let's just read that verse. Everybody is excited, man. He says, let's prepare, verse 23, let's prepare a great feast. Not just a little after church luncheon thing. <laughs> a great feast. And celebrate. For this beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he's alive again. Once he was lost, but now he is found. And everyone celebrated with overwhelming joy. Overwhelming joy. Everyone celebrated. You see the picture again? Lost sheep, get everybody together, have a huge party. Lost coin, she finds it, get everybody together, have a huge party. The son returns from a place where everybody thinks that he's going to have to work his way back, and God the Father just flips the thing upside down and says, let's have a party. What was lost has been found. Would you stand to your feet this morning? And I want to just close with this. Three stories, three parties. I don't know if we party enough. Michaela wants to party. Look at her go, man. She's ready to roll. Like, I just don't think we party enough. Like, like, I think that overwhelming joy should be the thing that people say about us. Right? <laughs> I'm just saying. Some of you are like, all right, I'm ready to party. Let's do this thing. <laughs> like, so we're going to, hey, that Holy Ghost party song. Can you guys find that one? We're going to close with that one today. Maybe Jody, can you help me out with that? There's a, there's a party in heaven when lost things get found. And how many of you think when Jesus says, on earth as it is in heaven, isn't just about getting people healed and, and you know, all, that, all the fun stuff. It actually, if the, the sound of heaven is joy and partying and celebration, let's invite that to earth. Amen? So here's what I want you to do. Just lift your hands. Just lift your hands. And let's just invite that. Like, like Lord, we need, we need the... The DNA of heaven to be the DNA of Epicenter Church, God. Lord, I, we just invite your joy into our lives. Father, the, the, the joy that comes from the knowledge of having our sins forgiven. Lord, the joy of the knowledge that comes from that we're not, we're not slaves and we're not orphans. And because of our bad choices, we're stuck. No, we're sons 